From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As protests against police violence and inequality continue in the United States, Scott Morrison had a private phone call with Donald Trump. Accounts of the conversation differ, but in subsequent interviews, the Prime Minister refused to engage with Australia's own record on black deaths in custody. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on Morrison, Trump and the George Floyd protests. Paul, on Tuesday, Scott Morrison had a phone call with the US President Donald Trump. Just before that call, Trump had a photo op in Washington. I'm wondering if you can tell me about it. Well, Ruby, this was one of Donald Trump's more provocative escapades. It came as escalating protests around America continued into their eighth day after the killing by police of another unarmed black man, George Floyd. National lead right now, moments ago, the chief of police in Minneapolis announced that he had fired four police officers involved in the arrest and subsequent death of a black man in police custody. George Floyd repeatedly told the in Mr. Floyd's name have grown. Hundreds marching through the streets of Minneapolis calling for justice. The frustration at the lack of accountability around police brutality grows all across the United States. Dozens of cities saw mostly peaceful demonstrations. On the orders of Trump's Attorney General, federal police undertook to push protesters away from the front of the White House. They fired tear gas into the crowd, used batons and rubber bullets to clear a path so the president could walk from his residence to a nearby church. To clear what has been an entirely peaceful protest. Not 98%, not 99%, but 100% peaceful protest here today. People throwing... The purpose was to facilitate an obvious, and I'd have to say inflammatory, campaign stunt. Police rammed their riot shields into the demonstrators and media crews. And Ruby, this is the tenor of Trump's belligerent defiance. Flanked by his daughter and son-in-law and key members of his administration, Trump walked across Lafayette Square through the security provided by a menacing honour guard of automatic weapons and steel batons. The reason peaceful protesters were forcibly moved became more clear, to make way for the president to stage a photo op. Now I'm going to pay my respects to a very, very special place. Thank you very much. Trump then stood in front of the boarded-up St John's Episcopal Church, which had been firebombed the night before, and he held a Bible up for the cameras. And Ruby, a rather cheeky reporter, yelled, Is that your Bible? For once, his answer didn't need fact-checking. Trump replied, It's a Bible. The Episcopal Bishop of Washington, Marianne Budd, was outraged. She condemned the president and said the Bible declares that God is love when everything he said and done is to inflame violence. And I just want the world to know that we in the Diocese of Washington, following Jesus and his way of love, do not, we distance ourselves from the incendiary language of this president, 
we follow someone who lived a life of nonviolence. The Catholic Archbishop of Washington, Wilton Gregory, an African-American, had a similar view. He condemned the president's second visit to a religious place, a shrine honoring Pope John Paul II. Wilton said it was baffling and reprehensible. He hit out at the shrine or any Catholic facility that would allow itself to be egregiously misused and manipulated, he said. And this happened just before Trump's phone call with Scott Morrison. Yeah, that's right. It was a pretty busy morning for the president. Uh, more than that, an Australian journalist and a cameraman were among those brutalised by police ahead of the photo op. Amelia Brace from Network 7 was truncheoned in the back and shot with a rubber bullet. Bullets, my cameraman has been hit. Uh, we've also seen tear gas being used. Here we go, they're moving through again. This is exactly what it looks like. Exactly what it looks like. We're just staying safely. Whoa! Amelia, can you hear us? Amelia, Morrison says he was unaware of it before the call, though questions are now being asked about that. But he has since offered support to the network to lodge a formal complaint. He's also asked the Australian Embassy in Washington to provide advice on registering Australia's strong concerns with the appropriate authorities. Do we know what was discussed on the phone call between Morrison and Trump? Well, we've got uh, two versions of events. According to the White House's version, the US protests were mentioned in the conversation between Morrison and the president. The Australian version says both leaders discussed the distressing situation in the United States and efforts to ensure it would be resolved peacefully. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Paul, we're talking about the protest movement that's breaking out in the US and conflicting accounts of this phone call that Scott Morrison had with the US president this week. Can you tell me more about that? Well, Ruby, we uh, don't know what was said on the call. I certainly don't. I wasn't a fly on the wall. But Morrison's people maintain that both leaders hoped the crisis could be settled peacefully. What that means for Donald Trump is by no means clear. Now, if Morrison was aware of the president's total domination call given a few hours before they spoke, he'd have no reason to be impressed. I am mobilizing all available federal resources, civilian and military, to stop the rioting and looting, to end the destruction... The speech in the White House Rose Garden, punctured by the sound of flashbangs and exploding tear gas nearby, promised a more brutal response. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. 
Mayors and governors must... Trump said he would dominate the streets and called on governors to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers to do so. He said if they failed, he would fix the problem. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. The prospect of an American president suing the might of the United States military on his own citizens is frankly horrifying. Perhaps explaining the braggadocio are the latest poll figures in the United States showing the Democrat presidential candidate, or obvious candidate, Joe Biden, has a 10-point lead over Trump among registered voters. But it looks the main reason for Trump's phone call to Morrison was to invite the Australian Prime Minister to participate in the G7 Summit of World Leaders in September in the United States. The invitation would normally be a feather in the cap of an Australian Prime Minister. But now it drags us into the Trump quagmire and only complicates Australia's interests at home and abroad. I think Morrison realises this, Ruby, and in the briefing note from his office, he insisted it was in Australia's interests that he go. And on balance, I think you'd have to agree. Mm-hmm. Paul, Scott Morrison has addressed the American protests directly. Can you tell me about what he said? Well, the Prime Minister went on 2GB this week and he was pretty dismissive of the protests and said they wouldn't achieve anything. There's been, you know, there's there's not always rubbish on social media. I saw a good meme on the weekend. Martin Luther King, uh, you know, didn't change anything by burning anything down and looting any shops. Uh, and so it was as upsetting and, and terrible as is the murder oh, that, that took place. And it is shocking. It's just that also just made me cringe. Um, and I just think to myself... Morrison said more or less that the protests are an American problem and we shouldn't import the sentiments. Yeah, there's no need to import things from happening in other countries here to Australia. I mean, Australia is a fair country uh, and, and also, you know... But it's not true to say that this is just an American problem, is it? No, of course not, Ruby. At a Sydney Black Lives Matter protest earlier in the week, people chanted, I can't breathe, the last words of George Floyd. But they're also the last words of 26-year-old David Dungay Jr., an Indigenous man who died in Long Bay Jail in 2015 as warders restrained him. He repeated the phrase ten times. No one was charged after that death. The report says that in the CCTV recordings, David Dungay can be heard telling prison guards that he can't breathe. One corrections officer tells him, if you can talk, you can breathe. The Australian protest coincided with the brutal arrest of an Aboriginal teenager in Surrey Hills. Images of the boy's legs being kicked out from beneath him and his face being driven into the ground turned up on the evening news and they've gone viral on social media. A policeman then orders him to turn around and places the boy's hands behind his back. He then kicks the teenager's feet out from underneath him, causing the 16-year-old to fall to the ground face first. Two other officers then helped hold the boy down. He was taken to hospital and... A white policeman was placed on restricted duties and an internal investigation has been launched, but the New South Wales police chief seemingly dismissing it as the policeman having a bad day 
I've got to say, isn't reassuring. If, if it certainly is complaints sustained against him, you would have to say he's had a bad day. And, and I'm sure most of the community wouldn't want to see someone who's made a mistake sacked after making such a commitment to the community. The young boy's family is... Australia has a terrible and ongoing record of black deaths in custody. There's an appalling gap in life expectancy between Indigenous Australians and the rest of the country. There is huge inequality here. And it's simply not credible to pretend otherwise. Paul, at the top of the show, we were talking about Trump and the way that he's using faith in his campaigning. As you look at what's happening in America, what do you make of that? Well, in terms of Trump's response and his campaigning, you know, five months out from the presidential election, you'd have to say that his response is transparent and a cynical manipulation But it is an appeal to his base vote. That vote is made up of evangelical Christians and ultra-conservative Catholics, all united around the abortion issue and very conservative sexual mores. No wonder the two mainstream church leaders in Washington spoke out so loudly. And Ruby, it's instructive to note the Catholic Archbishop was appointed by Pope Francis and is no fan of the culture war reactionary Catholics who run the Pope John Paul II shrine in Washington. And I think that gives you a clue to why Trump went there. And what about the protest movement more specifically? What do you think as you look at that in the US? Well, there's no doubt that the pent-up anger at the ingrained inequality in the United States, particularly the systemic racism that still exists, doesn't take much for a pressure valve to release it. And yet another death of an African-American male unarmed at the hands of white police is the sort of trigger for this explosion. There's no doubt the historical legacy of slavery is part of it. There's also no doubt that this, the significant white minority threatened by the changing demographics in the United States. But unfortunately, It's the sort of situation that demands a leader who has respect and authority and who is a uniter, not a divider. And Trump's whole modus operandi as a politician is to divide and conquer. So he believes that if he can leverage this, can make the divisions even sharper and starker, he'll garner enough votes to hang on to the presidency. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Ruby. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut... Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news, the Minnesota Attorney General has upgraded the charges facing the police officer involved in the killing of George Floyd. Derek Charvin, who was sacked after the incident, is now charged with second-degree unintentional murder instead of third-degree murder and manslaughter. The three other officers who were present and were also sacked have now been charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. 
Meanwhile, New York police have moved against peaceful protesters who defied citywide curfews, with one police chief saying there would be no more tolerance for crowds who ignored the measures. And back home, the federal government has announced $25,000 grants for people who want to build or substantially renovate their homes in an effort to boost demand in the construction sector. To be eligible, recipients will need to spend at least $150,000 of their own money. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Michelle Macklem. Elle Marsh is our features and field producer in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Make sure you don't miss out by subscribing on your favourite podcast app. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.